Smokey. and I see many faithful disciples. It almost feels like this mic is overpowering this room. I got a pretty loud mouth, so, uh, but the people online can hear me. Hello, folks online. It's good to see you all. Uh, wish I could be here to give you a hug and see you in person. Um, so I'll come to all of your houses looking for me. Be there around to know, kid. I'll be I uh, definitely want to give some love to my good friend, Rachel Touche, who's sick today, got a sinus infection, not doing well. Uh, Rachel, love you so much. Um, I see you're still faking being sick, so you don't have to come to church. No, I love you, Rachel. Uh, but just looking around the room, I just want to thank some of the, some of the uh, veteran disciples here, you know, Mark Hoyle, of course, the Johnsons. Uh, Dale Ringer, uh, I start naming names, and I'm going to, Mark and Beth Hoyle, of course, and uh, some of the veterans. Yeah, I'm sorry, Beth, yeah. I know you've been far more faithful than him anyway through the years, so I just want to thank you as well. And, um, and the new disciples, I appreciate that. That's really encouraging uh, to see you all be faithful. Uh, so may God bless you and be with you through your journey. Um, and I want to thank Israel. I met a new friend, Israel. Uh, Israel and uh, Melissa. I just called them the chicken couple. And so um, they've got chickens and everything. They've got a full, they've got a full zoo going on out at their house. So go and visit them at any time. So, um, uh, so. I had a great time with the, with the group yesterday. Those of you that came out, it was good to do a workshop on dignity. We spent uh, three and a half hours together. Uh, it went a little longer than I wanted to, but it's because you were all so interactive. And it was just great to get together and to see the connection that we had together and the bond and, and to talk about uh, dignity, what dignity is, and, uh, and, and particularly its impact on us and how it keeps us uh, just violations of dignity, keep us in sort of this perpetuating state of uh, just tensions and conflict, whether intrapersonal conflicts or internal things or, or really just conflict between people and frankly, conflict between us and God. And so just being able to talk about its role and how we treat one another and how we love one another and how we want to treat one another. And so I know that one thing, uh, we as God's people, we want to be agents of dignity. We want to be agents of peace. And I believe that part of being people who are at peace and people who spread peace, who preach peace, we've got to be the people that we treat all people with dignity, that we ourselves carry ourselves with dignity Okay? We treat others with dignity, 
and that we understand that we're part of this greater thing with this God Almighty who dignified all of us by treating us in his own image. Amen. Wasn't that the most dignifying thing in the world? God could have created us to look like anything, but he says, I'm going to make you in my image because I care that much about you because I think you're that important. You're that valuable. And no matter where you go, no matter how you're treated in the world, may we always know that we are valuable to God Almighty, and may we always treat others with great value. Amen? Amen. And so on the heels of a, a workshop on dignity, I was kind of thinking, what am I going to talk about today? And so I'm going to talk about, first of all, well, I want to thank you, but then I have, still want to talk about my family here for a second. Because if I show you pictures of my family, well, you have to like me. So uh, this is my beautiful wife, Robin, in the middle. She's here with me today. And, um, and then to, your, to my left is my oldest, uh, Hazel. And, uh, and then to my wife's right is my middle daughter, Layla. And then to my wife's right is the twin, uh, Lily. And on the other side is her twin sister, Haley. And uh, my twins are pretty amazing. Uh, they, are, they were born at 25 weeks, and they were a pound and 10 ounces. And, uh, and they're pretty much a little giants now. And uh, I'll just brag on them for a second. My middle daughter tried out for her club volleyball team, and uh, she tried out for the 15-year-old team. And the twins, who are 13, made that team as well. And, uh, and so they are uh, just a good athletes they take after their mother and uh so but they're a lot of fun my kids are and so this is hazel she got married uh to nate uh last july they've been married a year and uh so uh, nate is my wife's college roommate's son uh julie uh now schrader and so that's kind of cool so she's married to a good guy i like him uh so <laughs> So yeah, I got, uh, so at least I got another dude in the house, so that's pretty good. And, uh, and so then that's just, just so you don't think I kidnapped this family, that's me with them. So, so but uh, yeah, so anyway, that's my, that's my family. So, so we're going to talk this morning about overcoming victimhood. Uh, we know one of the violations of dignity or temptations to violate dignity is playing the victim. And so I want to talk about overcoming victimhood a little bit. And um, this is a sermon that I, that, I, that I preach. And, of course, this is one of the things just that I feel like I've really had to battle with myself uh, just over the years, um, just uh, growing up in inner city New Orleans and feeling like the deck was stacked against me at different times in my life. My biological father was not in my life growing up. And um, I, I, my mother married a great guy who adopted me and gave me the name Hawkins. Um, but there were times growing up where they had three kids. And so, you know, growing up feeling like things wasn't fair, feeling like I'm the one who was adopted, feeling like I'm the one that wasn't a biological result of my, my, my stepdad and my mom. And so feeling different. And again, you know, as you know, no two kids grew up in the same house. Are you guys twin brothers? Okay, great. <laughs> Sitting there looking going, I know I'm not crazy. Uh, <laughs> but it's really, actually it's true, you know, even two twin brothers 
didn't grow up in the same house, so to speak. They have different versions of their upbringing. I was just talking to her sister who's got triplets. And she said it's interesting for her to talk to her triplets and for them to talk about. She did everything to try to treat them fairly, and they have different stories of how they're brought up and going, that's just how it is. You know, got, mom liked you more. No, she didn't. <laughs> You're doing everything you can to be even-handed. And so, right, and so I think my parents would say, we, tried to, we treated you no different. Yes, you did. You loved them more. <laughs> they had more gifts, one more gift than me for Christmas, you know. And that one time I wanted a bike and you didn't get it for me, you know, like, you know. Basically, you know, so just growing up, just kind of battling with my own whatever angst. Uh, growing up in an inner city, feeling like there was something unfair, the deck stacked against me. Why am I getting pulled over? Why am I being talked to this way? Why is this happening? Why am I not getting that opportunity? We can go on and on and on. And yet you could probably even say, well, hey, I got an opportunity to get out of the hood. And, uh, why, you know, why are there gunshots in my neighborhood every week? And I got an opportunity to get out of the hood and go to one of the top universities in the nation and play college football. And, boy, I'm so different than others. But why didn't I get to go to the NFL? Why didn't I get to get that, you know, that multi-million dollar contract? So, you know, the, there's always this sense of why, why, why. And really, it's never enough. You know, I play golf like my man here. Except this guy's a real golfer. I think he's trying to, I think he's sneaky trying to get on tour, you know. But uh, you know how it is, we play golf and you know, there's, you play around and you have a great round and you're still like, but if I had just hit that one, it's never enough, right? You know, there's always something stacked against me. I guess I just, as I go through my life, I see these moments in my life where I played a victim. Well, I feel like it didn't go my way. Or if this had gone better. Anybody ever played a victim? Okay, those of you that are not raising your hand, just maybe you can pass this lesson on to someone else. Amen? Second Corinthians. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians. We're going to go to Second Kings. I got three points here this morning. All right, how to overcome victimhood. Overcoming victimhood. First is showing empathy to others, stop assuming, and the th third is repent of your entitlement. In 2 Kings chapter 5, and this was a story that I probably would not have otherwise thought of as a story of really overcoming victimhood. But as I read through it more and more, I was pretty blown away of just sort of some obvious things here that Hopefully things, I'm sure things you've seen before, maybe things you've observed before, but a few things that stuck out to me that I never observed. So let's start here. Let's pray first, and we'll jump into 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14. God, you are mighty. You're awesome. We thank you, God, that you have uh, so dignified all of us by creating us in your image. I pray, God, that we will always remember to uh, show proper honor and respect to those around us, God. But, uh, Father, that we will always that we will be dignity agents as we go throughout this world, Father, that we will always be able to look the world in the eye, God, and regardless of who they are, of what they're going through, or what they've accomplished, or what mistakes they've made, or God, how we backed ourselves in the corner, or ruined our lives, God, or Father, really in some ways ruined the lives of others, God, that we will be able to, ourselves, Father, that we'll be always connected to our dignity, 
Father, connected to the dignities of others around us. And Father, more importantly, connecting to the dignity, uh, God, that you give us, Father, and just, Father, that you are constantly, your eyes are ranging throughout the earth, looking for people. The people, God, that are the very people, Father, that sometimes we turn away from or that disgust us or that frustrate us. You're looking to see if those people's hearts have moved even an inch toward you. And help us, God, not to never be so closed off or closed-minded or self-righteous, Father. God, or, or just enter ourselves, God, that we miss Father, the doors that you're opening, Father, for people to be able to draw near to you. But we love you. Uh, be with us. Uh, may the message move and inspire us and challenge us where we need to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of, the mass of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would, co he would uh, cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his, his robes, he sent them this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and they will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to, to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand over and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of, his, of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is a God in all the world. Um, there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept the gift from your servant. And there's, a, there's another story that goes along with this that is also just powerful in and of itself, and you can read that later. 
But this is a very fascinating story, and as I was reading through this recently, reading through the whole Bible, I've been reading through the whole Bible, and um, I think I'm in Ezekiel chapter 4, 5 right now. And um, it's kind of cool. I hadn't read through the whole Bible in a while, and you know, I read the Bible, and I've been in books reading them, but it's nice to read through the whole Bible. Again, you're kind of going, did they just put that in the Bible? I feel like I didn't see that before. <laughs> missed that before, you know? And this is one of the stories that kind of jumped out at me. I see in this story a lot of sort of, I see some stories of sort of self-victimization or victimhood. And I also see some powerful stories of overcoming being a victim. And so I want to talk about each of them. There's really sort of three, the three characters here one of which never really jumped out at me at all before. But let me tell you what I think self-victimization is or victimhood is. The definition is simply, simply adopting a poor me attitude. And we can learn this from our past. We probably pick it up in some cases from our parents, maybe our mentors, maybe our older siblings, and perhaps the culture or neighborhood we grew up in. Perhaps our culture rarely takes responsibility for the mistakes and often blames external factors. The poor me attitude, the self-victimizer, blames their parents, may blame their children, may blame their boss, may blame their mentors, may blame their spouse, may blame teachers, the church, the coach, this high school coach. If I'd had a different coach, I would be in the league. You ever heard that before? They might even blame the president of the United States. That's my favorite, when people start blaming the president for their problem going, I promise you the president is not thinking about you and your problems. <laughs> Pretty sure that's not happening, okay? Blame a political party. They blame their neighborhood, the neighborhood they grew up in. Blames the weather. Blames their health, blames their preacher, blames the church, blames the whole swath of people. If it wasn't for those people, you can put whoever you want in those people. Blames the entire gender, you know, blame, blame, blame. And I think ultimately even blames God. And we can sometimes see young people or children, they repeat this behavior. And when children repeat this behavior, it, it develops into something that psychologists call a high external locus of control. Meaning their attitude they, 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 uh, about their failures and their difficulties, they blame their failures and their difficulties in life all on exter external factors rather than anything they've done. All of life's challenges, everything that's gone, everything that's happening, it's all external factors. This has nothing to do with me. It's someone else's fault. Someone else did it. This is important because self-victimizers or those who take this attitude, they attribute really kind of the challenges of life to the things that someone else is doing to them. And they will 
more often than not refuse to take responsibility for making matters better in their lives. They will refuse to take responsibility for bad things that perhaps, or bad situations situation they put themselves in, but even they reach a point that I can't even make things better. I'm always up against it. It's three steps forward and a hundred steps backwards. It's always they're coming after me. You're with me? Believing instead that the external factors are the only way, the only way my life can get better is if they make it better. The only way things will get better in my life is if they change. If they do this, and whoever that they may be, the president, if he changes, my life will get better. It won't. (laughs) That I can promise you. If you're believing that lie, I'll pray for you, okay? All right? If this, if only they, the black people, the white people, the Latino people, the whatever you want, if they made it, the police, you name it, my life would get better. So that hopefully helps us to understand what being a victim is. So, That speaks for itself. <laughs> but I thought this was kind of cute, too. You play the victim, I'll play the disinterested bystander. <laughs> the end of the day, it kind of feels kind of good to sit down and sit down and hang out with people that are in the same boat with you in this victimhood thing and gossiping about those people, right, who are making all of our lives better, worse, right? Not better, but worse. And the reason they got us in this box or but at the end of the day, after a while, you kind of go, you know, I, I kind of get negative. <laughs> you know what I mean, this is, it's always somebody else's fault, right? It is undignifying to us, to the people that we're talking to. And I don't, I know, I, we're confident this is not the way God wants his people to live. Amen? Right, amen. God wants us to believe that with him, with Jesus, all things are possible. All things are possible. God can do any and all things. And I think that's what this story here is about. So overcoming victimhood. Point number one, start showing empathy for others. Share the little faith you might have. The first person that jumps out to me in this story is a little girl. The little girl. She's the first person that jumps out. And as I read through this, I always am familiar with this little girl. It says who had been kidnapped. But I want you to listen. It says, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. I want you to imagine. This girl has basically been kidnapped. Kidnapped away from her family. Taken. Apparently, Naaman must have been a good captive. There must have been something good about it. But at the end of the day, she's been, she's been taken from her family. You, are you with me here? It's a young girl who's basically a slave. My life is hard. You ever been taken as a slave? 
Raise your hand. I mean, my life has been difficult. I've been taken away from my family, and now I'm serving. I'm basically a slave for Naaman's wife. <laughs> I mean, and Naaman comes down with leprosy. Now, if I'm this little girl, I'm like, I hope his nose falls off. <laughs> I can't wait for this leprosy to eat him up. I hope his wife catches it. I hope they all get it. Dare take me from my family. But this girl is empathetic. She ain't got no Bible, y'all. She don't have a Bible. She don't even have a church to go to. She didn't get to come to church and worship this morning. She got nowhere to go. She wakes up in the morning. Okay, come here. Got some stuff for you to do. How, does, how is she holding on to any kind of God? How is she holding on to any kind of faith? And why would she want to share that faith with her captive? Why? She got just a little faith. Not much, but she's sharing what she's got. She's sharing a little bit she's got. Isn't it amazing? He goes, you know, if my master, I mean, fix your mouth around that. If you had to say, if my master, if my master would just go see the prophet in Israel. How do you know there's a prophet in Israel? I just trust God. I've heard about it. I don't know. God, there's God. I know it's out there somewhere. If she, I don't even know the whole story. The rumors are floating around, but I know there's a man of God. If he would go and see the prophet, this has got risk written all over it. Okay, little girl, if this don't work out, you know how this is going to end for you, don't you? <laughs> but she has got some kind of faith. But I think as much as she's got faith, she's empathetic. She's empathetic. She has empathy for others. You want to overcome victimhood? How's your empathy for others? I know we can be like, oh, my problems. Oh, it's so bad in my life. It's so hard. I mean, it's been rough. I was with my family one day, and the next day there was, a ra there was an invasion, and then I was being swept away, and then I got sold, or I got traded, or I got moved, and here I am. I mean, she's got a lot of reasons to feel down and sorry for herself, and I'm not saying she probably never had a bad day, but I want you to imagine wrapping your arms around the saying, getting to a point where you can extend a loving and helping hand to someone in need. Wow. Come on. That is this little girl. If you're a child of God, when situations and circumstances of life are most unfavorable, how do we respond? Are we empathetic in those moments? Or are we only victims? Can I, as a child of God, when I'm treated the most unfairly, still find empathy? You know, like that guy. You know that guy that hung on the cross that said, Father, forgive them. 
That's the guy we're supposed to be following. That's the one that has empathy, even though every one of us in the room is nothing but a mess. Every one of us has hurt him and turned our back on him, and he still goes, Father, forgive them. I have empathy for them. But they're so pathetic. In fact, you've said it yourself. I'm so pathetic. And Jesus goes, but you're mine. Father, forgive them. Can we have empathy? This girl is a model for us of empathy. When things seem to be worse, and I don't know exactly what her life will events, how do you know she wasn't treated? I don't know. But I know not being around my family, being taken captive, I wouldn't find that to be too cool. Can you as a child of God, when you no longer have control of what other people say to you, do to you, think of you, write about you, how they act toward you, can you still find empathy for others? Can you, a child of God, in the most adverse of circumstances this life can offer, can you still have empathy for others? Let me tell you something, church. I think times are hard now. But according to the Bible, things are going to get a little worse for people of God. They're actually going to get worse. They're going to get harder. And when they do, will you be able to, able to overcome your sense of, oh, this is so hard, and still be empathetic for a world that is treating us so cruel? Beth Siegel, Ph.D., published an article, Benefits of Empathy. Empathy lowers our stress because caring for others requires that we regulate our emotions first. Lower or slow down our stress release hormones so that we can care about others. Empathy keeps us from getting burned out when the necessary work needing to be done in life, which is God's work, when it needs to get done, empathy will help us to sort of persevere and push through. Empathy will help us with our jobs. Empathy will help us with our parenting. Empathy will help us, more importantly, to be God's people. Empathy is also necessary for a healthy moral compass in life. God is empathetic. Jesus, therefore, is empathetic. The Holy Spirit is empathetic. Therefore, we who are his image bearers, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, moved along by the Spirit of God, we must, capital M-U-S-T, be empathetic people. You want to overcome your victim mentality? Show empathy towards someone else. Amen? Amen. Point number two. Start asking questions and stop assuming. God always has a reason. God always has a reason. The second character here is the king of Israel. It says, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, verse 7, it says, he tore his robes and said, oh my God, you know, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow, you know, send someone to, call, can be cure, uh, to be cured of lex, uh, leprosy? 
See how he's trying to pick a fight with me, he says. That was a whole lot of assumption there. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a lot of assumption there. This is the equivalent of, you ever get an email or a text from somebody and you read it and you just start a whole fight with them <laughs> with a little information? You kind of go, oh yeah, why did they capitalize that word? You know what I mean? What does that mean? You know, we're attached to the words, whatever we, they mean to us in the moment. You know, that makes sense? We're all mad. We're angry. It's an email and you kind of, and then if you go back and read it again, you go, okay, maybe that didn't mean that, you know? And you go back and read it a third time, you go, okay, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I overreacted slightly. <laughs> but have you ever read that email and just write with something back to find out, like, what was that all about? You're like, oh, maybe I should have read it more carefully. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> maybe I should have read the preceding email or something, right? You just jump the conclusions. That's what the, that's what the king of Aaron did here. Got all ticked off. He wants to start a fight with me. And so he's ready to go to war. If not externally, he's certainly at war in his heart. Yeah. And that is where the war starts, doesn't it? Yeah. He's at war in his heart. He's fired up. He's angry. He's assuming things. He don't have time to start asking questions. He is asking questions, but they're not real questions. You know, whenever it starts with why, it's not a real honest question. Why you did that? <laughs> you know. He's just, he's, he's angry, he's frustrated. God has a plan. But when we're close to God, we, when things happen, we can kind of sit down and, and relax and not assume that God is trying to make our lives miserable yeah. or that people are trying to ruin our lives. Yeah. That's what's happening here. The king is beginning to assume that this guy wants to start a war with him. And really, the king of Aaron goes, I'm just trying to help out my boy. You know what I mean? We heard that there was somebody that could cure him, and so we're sending him to you. We figure you're the king of Israel, and you're a man of God, and you would know the godliness going on in your Clearly, we were wrong about that. You're so far from God, he's going, what are you talking about? Ain't no man of God in town. That's why Elijah goes, hello. I am the man of God. He goes, oh, sorry. I was busy with my political duties, you know. Forgot all about God. The king's response is so negative. It's so mean. And it gets him to a place of war. Because that is what assumption does. Assumption is the mother of conflict. Assuming things, it's the mother of tensions. We don't give the benefit of doubt when we're assuming. And you know what? We're moving really fast in America. And the faster we go, the more we have to assume. We won't slow down and ask any questions. We don't have time to be curious. We're just going to assume. We're going to fill in the gaps. And we're going to fill in the gaps with all the negativity. With all of my tensions and all of my angst and all of my worries and all the stuff I'm up against, I'm sure this is what they mean. Are you sure that's what they mean? Oh, yeah, I'm confident that's what they mean. Are you sure? Oh, no, I know it's true because such and such told me this and such and such told me this. And then I watched and then I Googled it. <laughs> and I was watching the news the other day. And therefore, this is what's happening. Like, wow. And this is where we're at. 
and we're going so fast, and we're taking in so much information so quickly, and all we have time to do is just assume. We have time to sit down and have a conversation and go, so can we, can you help me understand? What am I missing about how you see the world? What am I missing? It was great yesterday in the exercise that people were able to sit down, right? For a little while, two and a half, they were captive. I guarded the door. They couldn't leave. <laughs> and we were able to sit down, and we were to just kind of talk about some things. And it was really interesting, just sort of something that uh, kind of a, 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 a consequence consequent or whatever you might say, a, a benefit or a blessing out of that that I wasn't even expecting. People just got up and go, I didn't know these people that well, but this was amazing yeah. hearing their stories, yeah. finding out that, you know, we're not really that different. Yeah. We're all up against the same thing in life. Yeah. But I could just go my whole life just assuming that this person, because of what how they looked at me on a Sunday morning or what someone said about them or about how they don't sing during a service or when they show up and when they don't, whatever you might say, I assume a lot of things about them, right? And that is what the king is doing. Assuming a lot of things. The king was filled with war, accusing the king of Aram of wanting to start a war because he wasn't focused on God. He has a, he has a, the king has, he has a reason for everything because he's not focused on God. He was focused on himself. He was offended. I think this is wrong, what he's doing. I will not be party to such foolishness. I know what's best. And he allowed his assumption to get the best of him. Brother, we got to slow down in this crazy world of crazy news. We got to slow down. My wife got a her birthday was this past week. She turned uh, 39. I figured that was more clever than 29. Probably not. But her sister texted or messaged her. And her sister messaged her, oh, baby, you got to watch your daughters, watch your kids. There was, and you guys all heard, there was a story about a woman in Alabama who there was a baby that was walking along on the highway or the street or something. And this gal got out and she went to get this baby. And when she got the baby and she went back to the car, the, 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 uh, the child the, the child, the, somebody kidnapped her and took her away. And they used this baby to lure her. You guys didn't hear the story? Yeah. Didn't hear the stories? Yeah. So this is the story. My wife told me that and I went, who's using a baby to trap people? My kid. And on a highway, this is the craziest story I've ever heard. I was just like, this is crazy. That's the most evil thing I've ever heard. And so it goes on. I'm going, oh, my gosh. And Robin had a talk with the girls and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so as the story goes, the girl is on the phone. And, and so she's on the phone. She calls 911. And said, this baby is walking along on the highway. And she goes, and she got the phone the whole time. I got the baby. And she's going back to the car. And she screams, ah! And then she drops the phone and then leaves it in the car. And the cops show up two minutes later and her and the baby are gone. And so everyone's looking for this girl. She works at a spa. Her co-workers can't sleep. They're all scouring the city looking for her. Everybody's in tears. Two days later, she shows up. Coming out of the woods. Apparently with a 
her hair braided, and said that the kidnappers, that she was able to escape. And they found out that she had been watching movies like Taken, and that she lied about the whole thing, and you're kind of going, bummer. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a crazy story, right? But when I first heard it, I was up in arms. like, what a crazy story! Who's doing this? You know, and I got panicked, like, okay, girls, okay. And I started assuming a lot of things. Like, my girls are going to get kidnapped, you know, which, like, girls, if you see a baby walking along the highway, don't go pick it up and go, who does that, you know? <laughs> it was all kind of hard for me to wrap my head around what was happening. Now, I feel bad for the girl who made up this story, because there's a lot going on wrong, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A lot going on wrong, because I don't know, like, she got her 15 minutes of fame, but this is going to, Wow. The, her poor co-workers that couldn't work, that couldn't sleep, everybody's, the whole nation is up in arms. Is this another scheme? People lure you in with babies on a highway? And when you kind of think about it, that's a crazy story. But we hear a lot of crazy stories, and we kind of jump to conclusions quickly, don't we? Yeah. That's a crazy story. Maybe it's not true. Maybe you should get more intel. Maybe you should just settle down, okay? Slow down. Say a prayer. And even if you don't know everything, it's a, it's a microcosm of just the world we live in with information's coming up so fast. And we tend to believe it all or a portion of it. And we can be quickly grabbed up and taken away. Are you with me? I'm sure you can see how that's happened in your life at different points. But man, if you don't slow down, if you don't pray, if you don't trust God, then this can happen to all of us. Slow down, church. The faster we go, the more we have to assume. I say assumption is the mother of prejudice, racism, and all other kind of isms. Slow down. Start asking questions. It's a good time for us to go to God. And so... I love it. The man of God handles this. So God sends the king and in and sort of an intern therapist. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he shows up and he, he did not come to the king and blame the king. He did not come and insult the king. He came in curious, asking questions. And after properly diagnosing where the king was at, he gave him a little prescription. And it simply went like this. Knock it off. You're not being godly right now, but God doesn't have a godly man in Israel. And he can do great things. Now, I love Elijah doesn't even get involved in it. Elisha doesn't get involved in this because this sounds like for Elisha, like this is something king of Aram and king of Israel stuff. I'm not going. I'm sending an intern to deal with this, okay? <laughs> He's wise. And wise people know what to get involved in and what not to get involved in. But if you want to overcome your victimization, your victim, your idea, your self-victimization, or your victim mentality, stop assuming, ask questions. There's always more to the story. God is always up to something. God never leaves you. He loves you. He cares about you. Ask God some questions. Slow down. You can always get righteously angry later. Okay? You can. You can get angry later. 
And as a wise man once said, only get mad on purpose. <laughs> Always get mad on purpose. Don't let other things make you mad. I know it's easier said than done, but it's a good thing to practice. I'm, on, I'm getting mad on purpose right now. It really will help you check yourself. Amen? Amen? Don't run over there with your little information and start pouring gasoline on a fire. You're not holding water. You're holding gasoline, and you're going to make things worse, okay? Point number three, get humble and repent of entitlement. Amen. Come on, now we come to Naaman, who's usually the main character of the story, and for good reason. I like Naaman here, and he actually is a good, is a good ending to his story, which I believe, God, it can be a good ending to all of our story. But isn't Naaman... Isn't he the, the picture of entitlement? I thought that he would surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Arnadabana and Farpar, far better than the rivers of Damascus. Don't I deserve better? Isn't this, the, isn't this at the core of, of all of our victimization in life. I deserve better. I mean, look at me. I mean, look, seriously, just look at me. Don't I deserve better? I mean, seriously, you look at me, Vince Hawkins. <laughs> Don't you think I deserve better? Whatever you're thinking, maybe it's helpful for us to think about ourselves. You're going, Vince, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's what God made me think sometimes. Like, what are you talking about? Why do you think you deserve better? Why do you deserve better? Why do you not deserve to be kidnapped? Why do you deserve better? Someone else deserves it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Why do I deserve better in life? I know we want better in life. But this sense of entitlement that we can sort of have, it is just full of me. Me, me, me. We go back to stage one. We will go back to yesterday. Stage one, if it's all about me, it's about me, me, me. And this is, and look, don't get me wrong, Naaman's, it's hard. I don't know that much about leprosy. But these are just a few pictures I picked up online. That it can get pretty bad. And it's hard for you to look at. God has to look at these images every day, all the time. So we can practice our empathy right now. But I get it. Naaman goes, hey, hey, I don't want to end up like that. I don't deserve that. I mean, I have been, I've been really good at my job. I'm a commander. The Bible says I'm a great man. The Bible says I'm highly regarded. The Bible says I'm a valiant soldier. I'm good at my job. I got this one thing. It's a spot right now, but it's going to get worse. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Why can't I get better? 
but he had a flaw. It was incurable, and he knew it. And he was married. I have no doubt that he felt completely justified in his anger, as we often can. I mean, he is a legitimate victim of bad health. Anybody ever felt justified to just sort of be angry or be sinful? Because we've had it rough. Because we've been victimized, traumatized, demonized, and polarized. Anybody ever feel like it just ain't fair? It's not fair. And we don't go maybe so far. Maybe we'll say God did it to us, but we will quickly blame people. And we will blame the church because church hurt is the worst hurt, right? Or we'll blame others. We'll blame anything. But what's the key to Naaman's repentance? The key is humility. Humility is how we get through it. And humility can very easily start with just being grateful. Gratitude begins when my sense of entitlement ends. I mean, we've got to get off our high horses sometimes in life. Because that's what it's going to take for us to be, to be empathetic toward those that are, that are struggling. And that's what it's going to take for us to, 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 be, to not assume so much. And, and when that person goes by you, like they're driving in a video game, and you get angry on the inside, and you instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt, well, maybe there really is something important they got to get to. That we don't just assume the worst about everyone. That we don't practice. We got a lot of practice in assuming the worst. I want you to be mindful of how much practice you get regularly of assuming the worst. The media, everything is teaching us to assume the worst. But we're going to have to, in order to, to not be that way, to be empathetic, to, be, to, to ask questions and to be humble and not entitled, we're going to have to get off our high horse. And the key to name is repentance. It's a few key things. It's humility. And it's the humility in the form of some people come to him. And they say to him, you know, master, maybe you're not seeing this thing exactly the way you should see it. And that even takes a little self-inventory. How could anybody else see me better than I see myself? Hmm. Maybe I don't see myself as I ought to. Maybe I ought to be open to kind of seeing myself the way others see me. I'm not saying everyone, but there are people in your life that you can sit down with and go, can you tell me what you see? Yeah. And don't go pick the people that just go, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. <laughs> Find some people that will honestly say to you, you know, I love you. You're amazing. However, <laughs> this is an area that will really help you. Yeah. 
And that's what Naaman has. He has someone that comes in. It's the service. The story starts with a servant, ends with a servant. Amen? The servants come and go, I don't think you're seeing this exactly the way God's kind of working it out for you. I think if he told you to do something amazing, Mr. Entitlement, you probably would have done it. This is a simple thing. This is not that complicated. He goes, you're right. I'll go. And he goes, and he does it, and God moves. Dizzy Millie, wrap this up. We've all been in situations like this in life. We've all suffered something. We've all gone through something. If you haven't gone through anything, you will. And at the moment, it seems like it's the worst. It's the most difficult. And God is just not fair. And I get it. I get it. And this is not to say that people don't have difficult circumstances because we all do. And we could spend a month of Sundays or a year of Sundays talking about all our problems. John, 20, John 12, 7, 27 says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say, Jesus? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. But in this world, you will have trouble. But I don't want that kind of trouble. Well, sorry. Why don't I just give you a list and you pick your troubles? You won't be picking troubles. Jesus, I want the pancakes, and I, because we're entitled. I should not have any troubles. If I do, they should be in this category, not in that category. The self-victimization is like, it's like when we victimize ourselves, when we live in a state of victimhood, it's like us tying ourselves to the train tracks. It's dangerous for children of God because we are the people of hope. We're the people of faith. We're the people of love. We're the people of empathy. We're the people of peace. We're the agents of dignity. We're the hope of the world. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We have been given the opportunity and the responsibility and the burden to be the light. And show the world that whatever troubles come my way, I'll lay awake at night, but that's all right. I may cry, but that's all right. When trouble comes my way, that's all right. Because Jesus will fix it after a while. God bless you, church. Good to be with you.